You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, ChristianHumanist.org. I got nothing going on. You got nothing going on. I need something to do. We need something to do. You should know by now that been in the Bugatti. He's a member of the Thanks for downloading another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast, your source for art, culture, politics, and religion. Serious conversation that tries not to take itself too seriously. If you like what you hear, go to iTunes and leave a nice review. You can also like our Facebook page for more content and conversation. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Do whatever that you like, do whatever, baby, cause I, oh, I don't care, yeah, yeah, it's alright, alright. Hello everyone, Danny Anderson here in my IRS recognized life. I'm an assistant professor of English at Mount Aloysius College in Crescent, Pennsylvania. Off the books here, I'm your host. Thanks for downloading or streaming another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Seven Mountain Dominionism with Jay Eldred. If you like or hate what you hear here, as always, let us know. There's a Facebook page, a Twitter feed for the show, and for me personally. Just look me up. We also have a lonely Gmail account, sectarianreview at gmail.com. And don't forget our website, sectarianreviewpodcast.weebly.com. That's become a really neat place for listeners to interact with us. And if I haven't mentioned it before, that's my favorite part of this thing. A lot of our episode ideas now are coming from listeners, and I really love that. Several years ago, a former Facebook friend of mine electronically celebrated Earth Day by posting, quote, Happy Dominion Day, exclamation point. This is not the reason he's a former in my feed, but it didn't really help his cause. A few episodes ago, Jay Eldred and I spoke about the unethical scholarship of evangelical favorite David Barton. During that conversation, the concept of Christian nationalism came up frequently and introduced us to the belief system broadly called Seven Mountain Dominionism. A brief and probably unsatisfactory description of this worldview is as follows. The conviction that the capital C church should seek to take dominion over earthly social institutions in order to establish divine rule on the planet for Jesus. And yes, there are seven so-called mountains to scale towards this end. Uh, But before we get our mountaineering gear out... Though, I want to talk about an upcoming Sectarian Review event. Uh, if you've been listening or following our Facebook page, you probably already know that we've been invited, been invited along with the Christian Feminist Podcast to represent the Christian Humanist Radio Network at the 2016 Wild Goose Festival in North Carolina. For more information on this event, please just visit their webpage, www.wildgoosefestival.org. There you'll find a tab called Goose Casts, and you'll find us there. On the Sectarian Review website, uh, a listener suggested the topic of hipness as a focus for this episode, and I think I'm going to run with that. Uh, I've lined up some folks to talk to, and I hope I don't screw things up too badly. Uh, And if you'd like to go to Wild Goose, I'd love to meet you and would appreciate your support. Uh, moral or otherwise. The organizers have generously offered Sectarian Review listeners a 25% discount. Just enter the promo code GOOSECAST2016 at checkout. Now, Jay, how's it going? It's going well. It's hot here today in North Carolina. I know. We were talking about this earlier, and um, I got out of the south just in time. It's beautiful and cool here in uh, in central Pennsylvania on top of mountains. <laughs> Speaking of mountains, um, I have yeah. dominion over cool weather, apparently. So, uh, <laughs> How's your summer treating you so far? It's been well. I get to work towards next school year. Um, we decided to go with a new curriculum, so I've got three new books to go through. Oh, excellent. That sounds like fun, actually. It is. Um, that, you're a true scholar, then, if you think that kind of thing is fun. Excellent. Um, I have a random question. Um, I'm scrubbing my back deck, and this came to me. And so um, what is a, your least favorite song, song that when it, you hear it, it just makes you uh, makes hives pop up on your neck? Oh, you would have to ask something like that. No preparation at all. Right. There's. I mean, there's so many. Um like anything by Justin Bieber, probably. <laughs> okay. Well, you're younger than me. <laughs> so, well, I'm so you know, like I, I'm so I, unaware. I teach, high, but... I teach high school students, and so I hear stuff all the time. 
Um, as far as my own listening, I don't know because I normally keep it on like either classical music or talk radio. Ah. And by talk, it's like NPR. So yeah, you know, you've got all things considered. So I don't really listen to that much. I tell you, for me, it's that Bon Jovi song about uh, "Wanted Dead or Alive." I think it's called. Like, mm-hmm. I, I just have a. I hate songs that are uh, about how hard it is to be a rock star. Um, those kinds of things drive me crazy. There's like a Bob Seger one that does the same thing. I kind of think of it as a, uh, a capitalist plot to keep us all in chains, and so um, mm-hmm. I'll let you unpack that. <laughs> so, um, anyway, let's get on to business here, Jay. Um, uh, Seven Mountain Dominionism is a, a topic that you brought up, and um, there's a lot of layers to this. So this is probably going to take us some time to get through, and we have time to do that. Uh, I want to begin this episode, though, in reverse order, if that's okay with you. Since Jordan Poss and I recently did a two-part episode about conspiracy theories, I want to begin with a kind of transition from that um, the very term dominionism has been accused of being conspiratorial, um, mm-hmm. uh, kind of a false term from the left meant to marginalize all Christian political action by pigeonholing it into some vast white ring, white right wing conspiracy. Um, Joe Carter uh, has a uh, an article about this on First Things. I'll put a link up on the show notes. Um, what are some of the problems with this term, and how can we work around them? Well. From my personal experience, I was first introduced to this idea when we were researching for the Barton episode, so I did do a bit more for this one. And you're absolutely right that dominion, or the word dominion, carries quite a bit of baggage with it. And in fact, when we talked about, or when we talk about Seven Mountain Dominion, we really should be clear about what exactly we're talking about. You know, if you go on to Google or your preferred search engine and just type in Seven Mountain Dominion or Seven Mountain Dominionism, you're going to get all kinds of websites. Some of them will agree with each other. Some of them will seem contradictory. Some of them will, you know, look like they're from GeoCities back in the 1990s, and some will be, you know, more professional looking. And so as I was researching... um. We really need to define what dominion means, and a common thread that I found regardless of the type of website organization or church that I looked at, most of these dominion movements, regardless of their nature, and we'll get to that nature in a few minutes, uh, refer to dominion as a right to authority, rulership, stewardship, or control, and they get that word dominion from Genesis 1, 26 through 28, where we have the idea or the command, actually, from God that man is to have dominion over creation. And in fact, I've known this for years as the creation mandate. What they do is they extend it out and say, okay, we're going to say that man should then have dominion over culture in some way. Mm. Um, Most of the websites that I visited actually avoided using the word dominion simply because of its negative connotations. And instead, they used some variation of infiltration with positive change. I came across that phrase multiple times. Mm. And I'm not exactly sure that that particular language is really any better, because now we've gone from dominion to infiltration. I mean, you know. (laughs) They both sound very Illuminati-ish, right? Yes. Um, Not all Seven Mountain Dominion movements are created equal. I found some that actually called themselves called themselves the Seven Cultural Mountain Movement or something of that nature. But I came across three general types of movements. The first simply wants Christians to engage in culture and by engaging to have an influence. They're not out to, you know, put Christians into power or to create any kind of a theocracy. Um, they're seeking some way to live in the world without being of the world, if that makes sense. Yes. So, you know, I really don't have a problem with those types of movements, but I think that with without careful thought, they could become the more dangerous type that we'll talk about for the next many minutes. <laughs> um, the second type, and as I just said, in my opinion, the more dangerous has as an end, Christians in power, or at least Christians influencing the top leaders in 
the seven mountains. In fact, one website I visited claimed that if, after salvation, Christians were not actively working toward dominating world culture, then they were actively sinning against Christ. Mm. I think that's quite a bit of a stretch, but this is the type of Seven Mountain Dominion we'll be talking about today. And then I found a third type, which kind of tried to meet the two in the middle, but it was more marketing and, you know, advertising books and speakers and, you know, republishing articles geared toward both types. So they're basically, you know, they're out there to make money. Right. Anyway. Yeah. As with everything. Um, yeah. I want to uh, follow up on a couple things before we move on. The idea of theocracy you, you introduced there, and I think that that is kind of where the conspiratorial use of this term is pointing towards. Uh, you have this sort of uh, Christian version of basically Iran, <laughs> if, mm-hmm. if you think about um, the, the ends of, of something like that. And what you've kind of demonstrated is that most instantiations of this philosophy are much more subtle than that. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so, and I think that that's where I kind of disagree with, um, Carter, uh, to, to, uh, he was responding in that article and, uh, I'll put the show notes. I just kind of re- redid the website, incidentally. So there's like a separate page for show notes now. So you can sort of look at those kind of distinctly. And I'm going to try and put more attention into uh, more robust show notes uh, since I have a separate space for them. And uh, so I'm keeping notes here about what I need to include in those. The Joe Carter article is one of them. He's responding to a, uh, a New Yorker article or something um, where somebody is using this term and, and he's kind of calling it a phony term altogether. And Where I disagree is that he may be right. You might not be able to find like anything beyond the fringe where this is a legitimate thing. But Mm -hmm. in some ways, I feel like that's what makes it more insidious Um, when you uh, because it isn't uh, these ideas are still attractive to people who are not associated with the loony bin movement. And and so and I think that that's where I would like to focus on today is like, what is it about these ideas? Not necessarily the literal establishment of a theocracy in America, um, but these ideas of cultural engagement, um, like how do they find their way into more mainstream um, church circles? And so I think that... Um, and and maybe it, it's not even the ideas themselves, because as I was researching this, I would have to say, you know, as a Christian, I kind of agree with it, but I can't agree with the actions that these ideas lead to. Yes, so, so it might not even be the ideas that we're disagreeing with or we're saying are dangerous, but the actions that people are taking based on them. Exactly. Um, and unknowingly, right? Right. And so when people are doing things, they're like kind of unconsciously participating uh, on some level in things that are kind of philosophically questionable. And so uh, that's – I wanted to begin with the conspiratorial nature just to sort of um, emphasize that I'm not necessarily claiming a vast – dominionist conspiracy. I think that what is more concerning to me is this uh, kind of um, un, uh, unaware version of this that's, that's much more prevalent than Carter's um, response to that New Yorker's article um, would indicate. And so um, anything else before we move on? Um, don't think so. Okay. So let's get uh, right into this topic more properly now. What are the seven mountains that we're talking about here? Well, in no particular order, they would be business, government, the media, arts and entertainment, education, family, and religion. Okay. And um, so there's a lot of problems with the belief system, uh, not the least of which is theological. What makes this dominionism inherently problematic? Oh, where do we begin? Um, (laughs) Wherever you like. Okay. Well... So I'll just go in the order that I wrote them down. First, I think going back to their definition of dominion and the verse that they or the verses that they pull this idea from, I think they misunderstand Genesis one twenty six through twenty eight. Now, I would totally agree that God has commanded man to subdue creation. We do that through the sciences, through study, through the humanities, through you know just simply being human. Now, I'm not. An environmentalist, but I would also say, you know, there's this idea that man should also be a good steward mm. of the earth. 
Okay, that's creation. But I don't see this as a command for Christians to, to subdue culture, uh, not least because culture is a man-made category of ideas. Mm. Um, you know, I see God establishing three main groups, shall we say, or three main organizations, maybe even, well, no, three, um, the family, the church, and government. Beyond that, I don't see any organization that God himself said you will have X, Y, or Z. Um, second, unless you had, do you have any questions about that? Um, no, I can, I can hold off any questions. Go off I have, on that. So. Okay. Cause I, I do have a lot. So anytime yeah. you want to stop me, well, just one thing for the listener out there that I really appreciate about Jay appreciate about Jay is he's a meticulous planner. He, he preps for these things far more than I do. And, and that's why he's so valuable to me. So, uh, go ahead, Jay, continue. Okay. Um, uh, continuing from a theological standpoint, the idea that Christians should subdue anything seems to run counter to the Sermon on the Mount, um, especially the eight Beatitudes. Look at who Christ says will be blessed, the poor in spirit, the meek, the merciful, the peacemakers, the opposite of those who would be any doing any sort of subduing. Now, some might say that you know those who follow Seven Mountain Dominion would be included under two other beatitudes, um, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and those pure in heart. But I would counter that their righteousness and purity is simply that. It's theirs and not the Lord's. That's just my personal mm. opinion based mm-hmm. on what I, you know, we'll discuss later what the mountains entail, but it's very obvious that they're imposing their brand of Christianity on these seven mountains, not necessarily the on um, what the Bible says. As I was researching, you know, this movement covers different denominations, and each denomination had tailored it to their own specific denomination. Anyway, um, then, you know, I'd also submit for consideration the last beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, you know, Going back to our brief discussion during the Barton episode, Christians are to expect hatred and persecution. The idea of tolerance, let alone preeminence, is something I find foreign to Bible teaching. Mm. In addition to the theological problems, some of the movement statements seem contradictory. Most of the research that I did, most of the organizations I visited, they had some sort of a fact page along with them, you know, you know, what is Seven Mountain Theology, different things like that. But there were two questions that kept coming up, and the answers were almost the same regardless of where I was. Question one is reclaiming the Seven Mountains idea of theology. And the answer is no, it is a strategy for impacting culture through love and service by influencing the leaders of the Seven Cultural Mountains. Again, if you're using the term dominion, I don't really see how the idea of dominion equals love and service. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and then a few of them quoted Isaiah 2, too. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountains of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. Yeah. You know, if, if you're basing your movement off of the Bible how is it not a theology? Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, you know, theology, you know, literally means, you know, study of God, but it encompasses so many things that it can now come, in my opinion, it's come to also mean, you know, what is the basis of your worldview? Uh, yes. You know, and, you know, if it looks like a duck and sounds like a duck, it's probably a duck. <laughs> if it looks like theology and sounds like theology, it probably is. And, and yeah, and this is like an issue... To interrupt you just for a second. That's fine. Is I, I find it difficult to understand how you can approach the world from this perspective and not end up with some sort of pharisaical um, system of governance um, mm-hmm. in, in which there's this top-down control, um, which seems to be exactly what the New Testament is sort of overturning and, and I guess – uh, in modern parlance, democratizing uh, uh, to some right. degree. And, and so uh, this idea, these kind of black and white ideas that have to be mediated by someone in 
power and control, I think, is what I find most sort of troubling about this. And so I, I guess it's this issue of power. Um, mm-hmm. This is an ultimately a power-driven enterprise, and I think it demonstrates a lack of understanding of how institutions work. Um, and, and to inst- you, for power like this to actually uh, manifest in the world, it has to have some sort of institutional support. <laughs> and, right. and, and therefore, and, and this is why they go into um, various secular institutions to try to take them over, to sort of, sort of uh, you know, reinvent them in, in their own kind of worldview. Um, but I feel like this is uh, something that's not been, there's no uh, apparent thought um, uh, toward what that actually means uh, in what I see here. Right. In fact, I had I talked with uh, Coyle and Edward over at City of Man a few weeks ago after their most recent podcast. I'm not sure if one of them said or if they were quoting someone, but they made the statement along the lines that you know Christians wouldn't mind you know being in power or something of that nature. And I talked and I was like, you know, did you did you really mean that? Because a lot of Christians that I know are very careful not to want to be in power. Yeah. You know, they, they do recognize there's a difference between influence and power. Yeah. And that's interesting you say that. The advertising I, I came up with for this particular episode, I, I used a, a Tolkien sketch of, of the mountain path, I think. I noticed. <laughs> and so, I mean, if anybody was attuned to the, the problems of pursuing power, it's Tolkien, right? Yes. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I don't know, know that I necessarily, I just thought it was a neat looking image. I don't know that I necessarily thought about, uh, I thought about it that deeply before I used it. But um, yeah, the, the kind of lust for power is inherently problematic, I think, for people of, um, uh, of the Christian faith. And so, um, yeah, and I think that that's kind of what's getting lost here. And, and as we're talking, uh, some problems in my own perception here are, are arising. And so one of which that I have to grapple with uh, as we continue to talk about this that just sort of occurred to me um, listening to you is, is the idea of a Christian college inherently a dominionist <laughs> kind of, um, uh, or, and, and you also, you work at a Christian high school, right? Uh, are, yes. are these, um, versions of dominionist ideology? Uh, and mm. if so, I don't necessarily think they're bad, but why aren't they bad then? <laughs> I, so, I don't, I don't think they are, but not to tip my hand, but I do plan to talk about that or oh, that's something I wrote down for the mountain of education. Oh, excellent. Very good. Um, very good. Um, so we'll uh, we'll talk about that then. <laughs> but bear in mind, uh, just look forward. We have a few things to talk about. All right, more um, than a few. <laughs> we have more than a few. Yeah, this is going to be. We're going to take our time to go through this one. I am making a concerted effort, dear listener, to keep these episodes at about an hour, even if that means taking big topics and cutting them up into multiple episodes, as I did with the uh, the conspiracy episode. Um, I want this to be more digestible than and some of these hour and forty five minute, hour and fifty minute marathons that we were doing there towards the beginning. So. Um, it takes just a little bit of editing on my part and, and really saves me some work down the road. So um, so just be patient with us here. So um, continue, um, Jay. Okay. Uh, the second question, remember we're talking about the two questions that I found common across the uh, Seven Mountain Dominion websites. Um, the second question is, is reclaiming the Seven Mountains strategy about Christians taking over? How apropos considering we just discussed power. Mm-hmm. Um, their answer, no, it is about encouraging Christians to serve the culture by solving societal problems through love, compassion, and service as following the example of Jesus Christ. It is about serving those in key cultural spheres that the church has abandoned. The original mandate in Genesis 1 calls for Adam and Eve to exercise stewardship over the earth as God's representative However, when Adam and Eve fell, this mandate could only be restored through the death of Jesus. We do not believe Christians are to control the world or seek to have a utopia in society. However, we do believe we are called to serve the culture as we live out our faith to be salt and light in all aspects of society. Hmm. This answer has theological problems all its own. Um, I'm not quite sure how... Adam and Eve falling means that, you know, we couldn't have an influence or Christians couldn't have an influence over 
society without salvation. But then my second thought was, you know, you can't have your take and eat it, or you can't have your cake and eat it too. It's like they want to say, okay, we're not about taking over, but we're about taking over, (laughs) or at least influencing those taking over. I know later on we're going to be uh, getting more concrete about some of these more abstract ideas, but I'm hoping maybe we can be a little concrete along the way at times. And when we're talking about um, uh, this strategy, as you're you're mentioning here, uh, is there like an example that we can point to just so we can sort of conceptualize what we're talking about? I don't really understand that question. Um, so is there like sort of an example that might be recognizable of, of this aspect of seven? So, for example, um, the, the we did an episode about the Christian entertainment complex. Uh, mm-hmm. the, I called it praise movies. Um, so are uh, organizations like Pure Flix and seeking to kind of um, capitalize on the – Hollywood movie style and economic structure. Um, is that a way, is that an example of what we're talking about here? I would say it is an example. And since we're on the topic, I would just point out that the people and organizations that we're going to talk about may not necessarily align themselves with Seven Mountain theology yes. or this Seven Mountain movement, but they may be used as examples or promoted by those following this movement as, you know, worthy of support or things of that nature. So when we're talking about these mountains and we give examples, don't think, dear listener, that, you know, these people have, you know, signed on with the movement and they're all part of this, maybe conspiracy, maybe not. You know, they're doing, most of them are doing their thing. They're just kind of being tacked on to another movement or they're being subsumed by another movement. Yes. And and this is why I wanted at the beginning to address Joe Carter's um, uh, problem with the conspiratorial nature of this terminology. Uh, I agree with him uh, to a degree, but where I disagree is, is he just sort of wants to end the conversation there saying it doesn't exist at all. It reminds me kind of, of uh, like people in the mafia claiming that the mafia doesn't really exist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I can see what they're doing. Right. And, and so, um, and so I feel like uh, that's kind of why I think it's important to think about these things because these ideas unknowingly uh, or sort of insidiously, at least find their way into actual um, church practice and, and this is uh, or theological practice and this is kind of what I'm interested in here personally I, not to steer you away from what you're doing but um, and so oh, when, when I hear you describe some of these things I'm automatically thinking of parts of popular Christianity um, uh-huh. uh, that I, I, I see as living out these ideas whether and, that, they would... and that's what i found as well you know i tried to find it's like okay what people are involved in this movement and there's actually very few that i could find that said you know this is my aim most of them it was you know the individual websites or individual organizations promoting certain people based on what they're doing mm-hmm. and for example let's go back to david barton then exactly he's, um, he's actually just a put this out there now since we've talked about him before he's actually one of the only people i found while researching for this episode that actually would say yes i believe we should conquer these seven cultural mountains and that we could actually put in this category of seven mountain dominion yes exactly and 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 in in his own words i mean he's talking about oh yeah the textbook industry he's very open about it yeah but not everybody who would invite david barton to a conference for example are, is thinking of it in those terms. Uh, people, they are. No, they, I, I, I would agree with that. You know, just because you invite someone to speak or just because you purchase his DVD doesn't mean that you agree with everything he says. But I would all using his material, you know where he stands. Yes. So I would I would say that those organizations or those denominations that use his material without caveat, without warning, without saying okay this guy has some good ideas, he has some bad, we're going to discuss the good and the bad, you know what I mean? Um, if they just take his work and say, okay, we agree with what what he's saying, I think they might be more open to the idea of Seven Mountain Dominion or contribute to it without knowing what they're contributing to. And that's where I, that, I mean, if there's a, 
a goal for this podcast, it's that. I want to sort of make a parent that which is just assumed and, and make us sort of, as, as a, a culture, um, think about what we're doing on a deeper level rather than just do it. And, and, I, and I feel like a lot of this goes very kind of unexamined. Um, and, and so, and I think the, there are a lot of people who would never sort of use the term seven mountain dominionism to describe their philosophy, but hear things that David Barton says and say, well, yes, I agree with that because I think um, that he's right. And, and so without ever thinking about the philosophical consequences of, of, of signing on to that. Um, and so um, I'll pause this every now and then just to sort of throw out practical examples of what we're talking about, because this is very kind of and, vague and abstract. And so. that's fine, because that's really what, what we need to do. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. But you have a couple other problems uh, that you... Um, yeah, I did have two other problems. Um, first is in the issue of church history, because again, if this idea of Seven Mountain Dominion is a teaching we find in the Bible, then we should also find examples of, you know, the apostles or the church fathers who practiced it. And instead, these men most definitely did not dominate. They spent most of their lives poor or in jail. They were beaten. They were disowned by their families. They were stoned. They were killed. And all with the blessing of the religious leaders and the government. So I don't see where this plays out in church history mm. okay. and and then finally you know we've alluded to it throughout the episode so far but it does smack of being a christian version of the illuminati <laughs> it, it's almost like saying no we don't really exist but we do it makes it perfect for the show in a lot of ways right so um uh, absolutely and and kind of going uh back to your first uh second to last answer here um about the uh the the church history, the examples from church history. Um, in fact, um, Christianity has been said to spread because of its lack of institutional um, power, right? Exactly. <laughs> and so in some ways this seems antithetical to the uh, um, success of the gospel. Uh, and, and to me, just on a, on a personal level there. Um, I mean, we, we could – if we really wanted to, we could have, you know, have multiple episodes just, you know, about the early church in Rome and why, you know, making it the legal religion kind of, you know, ruined it for a couple hundred years or mm -hmm. a thousand years. Mm -hmm. Anyway, yeah. that's neither here nor there. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe a listener will take us up on that, uh, which, by the way, uh, I'm so happy about what's going on with the podcast. Like so many of the ideas now that we've been um, exploring are coming from listeners and, and that's kind of a dream for me. So if you have any, uh, if anything we say sparks something in you and you want to take the mic yourself, please contact me. I'm, I'm, I would love to open this up to everybody who listens. And so please, um, uh, be creative as a listener and, and think of ways to contribute. Um, and one can, other can thing, I throw something out there as well. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I suggested the Barton episode never really suspecting that I would get to record and then had a blast. So, you know, encouraging others out there to, you know, do the same. You never know. You never know. You might like it. But <laughs> if but if you are nervous about getting, you know, behind the microphone, you know, throw it out there because, you know, most people can form an opinion and go with it. So, yeah. You know, don't be shy. And, and if you're interested in something, you'll probably be interesting to listen to about it, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so, no, and I think that that's kind of what I want to do uh, with this show. And, and it's been it's been really fun to uh, to watch it um, actually happen before my ears, as it were, here. So, um, and one other thing that I have kind of a, a personal problem with this these kinds of ideas is that this assumes a very settledness. Uh, in the theology, like it assumes very clear answers um, mm -hmm. in a way. And as me as sort of a, you know, this is the Christian humanist radio network. So me as a humanist, like settled answers are sort of like the last thing I want to end up on. Right. I'm much more interested in questions. And, and, and myself, both as a humanist and a Christian existentialist, I'm the same way. It's like, how can you be certain? Right. And, and so it, this requires a degree of certainty that is kind of scary to me um, and, and, and very unreflective. And, and so uh, this is, I mean, and this is much of it ends up being very didactic and that sort of thing. And, um, and so for me, this is another 
uh, kind of moral problem with, mm-hmm. with this approach. Uh, and so, um, well, what are uh, that said? So we talked about the problems with this. And one thing I'm interested in, in with this topic is finding ways that it kind of it's not a vast conspiracy. Like I, I grant Joe Carter that, right? But right. Uh, that makes it even more dangerous, as I said um, several times already. So what are some ways, what are some movements or institutions, I guess, that are particularly susceptible, excuse me, uh, to this way of thinking, to this worldview? Well, we already talked about the followers of David Barton. And again, not necessarily to keep harping on him we you know we just talked about why they would be open to that but there were two other yeah. i guess movements or denominations that i thought of but, but and one you, would be can i follow up with the barton thing real quick yeah. um it, you know early on i used to listen on the radio i used to have this commute from work uh to um he's i think he's passed away now d james kennedy he was a i uh, think you're right i think he's passed um, but i used to listen to his radio show um almost it was like i don't know think the term hate watching it existed at this time but i would sort of hate listen to this because i it used to just sort of get my ire up and keep me awake on my uh commute home and so um he was very particularly interested in the idea that America was founded as a Christian nation. And therefore people like, I don't know that he ever had David Barton on his show, but he certainly had lots of people like him um, on his show to sort of forward that idea. And and, and Mm -hmm. I think um, that's an example from my own kind of uh, religious past (laughs) that I can think of that follows the, uh, that's a specific example of someone who might fall into the Barton camp, but uh, go right right ahead. Um, the other one that I thought of were those denominations that follow some sort of amillennial eschatology. Okay, um, you have to explain that to me. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Basically, they don't believe in – and again, I'm generalizing here. So if you're out there listening to me describe your denomination and I'm wrong, just you know, bear, bear in mind that I am not part of this. This is just based on my own – Knowledge. We have a Facebook but, page and a, a website for you to complain about. On exactly. So, um, Amillennial eschatology would say that it is the church's duty to bring about the kingdom of God on earth, that there might not literally be, you know, at the end times, a thousand year reign of Christ, that it's really talking about the church creating a utopia mm-hmm. of some kind or creating a generally Christian idea. So that's all that that fancy word word means basically it means that you believe in the end times that the millennial reign of christ is a reign actually by the church or when the church has preeminence Mm. okay and And, it's almost like a christian version of the enlightenment um mm -hmm. then in that way okay that now that again that's the way that i understand it and i have very strong opinions about the things i know about this is one of the things i don't know about so I'll, I would be happy to know more about it if anyone out there wants to post those to the Facebook page or the website. Hmm. It will be greatly helpful. And then the last idea is that, is that those that might fall under the camp of, that, of the term uh, moralistic therapeutic deism, you know, where you know, Christians are just supposed to love one another and do good things because Jesus did. Um, it's essentially, you know, what does Jesus mean to you hmm. movement? And we saw that with, um, with well, I'll just say his name. We saw that with Trump a few weeks ago, when someone asked him that exact same question. You know, what is Jesus to you? And he answered with this very lovey-dovey kind of answer. Anyway, yeah, that was like it was so ridiculous that uh, like you know the Christian the Christian Twitter sphere sort of erupted. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't even a religious answer in right. any sense. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it was – well, Trump, you know, he tries to make things up uh, based on what he thinks the person in front of him wants to hear at that moment, right? And, mm-hmm. and oftentimes he's not prepared to actually <laughs> answer that question. And so that was an example of that. Um, and, you know, and it also I, – I, I don't know how to categorize this kind of person or this kind of institution other than to say someone whose faith is kind of – stuck within the Christian media sphere. So um, Christian bookstore, um, Christian television shows, uh, Christian celebrity culture, let's say. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I feel like um, that kind of celebrity culture 
is also, from my observation, kind of susceptible to these ideas of sort of taking back the world from Satan <laughs> and, 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 and all his evil uh, uh, beings. And so um, just so, so it, as you know, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be at the Wild Goose Fest. And I've sort of arranged to interview this. Uh, he's a, a hip hop artist and he's also a pastor of a church in Chicago. Uh, he goes by the name Jay Quest. And uh, and his music is very is he's a Christian whose music does not necessarily um, fit within the kind of Christian music industry. So he doesn't fit in as a Christian rapper because he doesn't have kind of um, preachy lyrics um, that are kind of obviously towards a didactic Christian end. His his lyrics are much more um, poetic just in a general sense, but from a um, but the poet is a Christian. Do um, you see what I'm saying there? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why he's very interesting to me. He does not seem to fit into this normal Christian media sphere marketing machine. And, and, and I feel like people who go to that machine to mediate their Christianity for them are probably susceptible to this in ways that they're unaware of. And, and right. that's uh, – so I, I haven't listened to like Lecrae or anything like that to any great uh, extent, but um, people who are famous Christian rappers or famous Christian musicians um, have explicitly Christian and evangelical lyrics in, in their in their in their music in the way that the Pure Flix movies have explicitly evangelical Christian mm-hmm. um, plot lines and that sort of thing, um, and so. Uh, I feel like people who are stuck within that kind of Christian ghetto, <laughs> as it will, if you will, um, uh, you know, marketing ghetto are probably more susceptible to these um, alluring ideas than than other people, than other kinds of Christians. Um, does that make sense what I just said? Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Um, and so any – does that conclude your answer about the movements or institutions? It it's done for mine. If no, you had a, anything more to add, I know you just talked about the well, yeah, Christian media sphere. I mean, other rather than I don't want to necessarily get into specific denominations necessarily, <laughs> right? <laughs> because that's inflammatory, and and, and and that's one thing that I tried to do with the with the uh, different mountains was determine okay what what is common among everyone. Right. Yes. Um, and yeah, and I'm sure that there are probably even large famous denominations that are, are um, too susceptible to this, but I don't want to be inflammatory in that way and make fun of them. Um, uh, <laughs> at least on the, while the record button is being hit. So, um, so this may mean Jay, and it will mm-hmm. <laughs> that we have another multi-part episode. As I said, I'm trying to keep these uh, to about an hour, um, but I think it would be prudent and even practical of us to take these sort of one mountain at a time and talk for a bit about how they manifest in the actual life of the modern church, even among those who don't self-apply that term. Um, and I'll sort of let you, uh, begin which mountain do you want to sort of begin with uh, where we can sort of talk about it in in some detail well i'll just go in the order that we introduced them before and i guess we'll uh start with business sounds good so anyway the two main business goals that i found that were common across the different um organizations that i found were, first of all, to raise up business and professionals who see their business as a ministry and change the spiritual atmosphere over their businesses and, therefore, their cities. And the second, actually somewhat surprising considering some of the denominational websites I was on, but the second was to unravel systemic poverty and create jobs for the welfare of people of all nations. Mm. And so, like, as an outsider... Those don't necessarily seem bad. Like that doesn't seem like bad goals to me. They don't seem like bad goals until, and again, this would be from the outside looking in, you start looking at the different types of people that they're saying, you know, should serve as their model or serve as their example. Okay. If, if that makes sense. And again, I don't personally have a problem with any of these businesses, companies, or people it's just taken to the logical extent, you know, things become convoluted. 
Okay. Anyway, well, did you have anything to add? Well, I mean, let, let's talk about some specifics with, with business that you're talking about then. Okay. Again, if I kind of had to do some – this is the most unresearched part of our episode, just <laughs> just to throw it out there. Because finding people that actually admitted to being Sevmount Dominion Dominionists was very rare. So what I was forced to do was look at the different articles the websites would republish, you know, go to their – if they had one, go to their Facebook page, go to their media pages, and see the kind of articles they were, they were reposting, what businesses were they talking about, what professionals were they talking about. So this is some interpretive work that we're doing here, right? Right. And, and that's, you, know, th- this yeah. is, you know, this is historiography at its finest, yeah. you know, making inference. Okay. And so the top, the top two that I saw – were Hobby Lobby, first of all, okay. as a business, um, mainly you know with their stance on the Affordable Health Care Act being closed on Sunday, family friend, family friendly, the music they play in their stores, all that kind of thing. Okay. And the second, along with it, would be the Kathy family, which owns Chick Fil A. Right. Which it seems that Chick Fil A is in the news every other month for either doing something or not doing something. Right. And I, I find it somewhat humorous that the top two businesses that they that they mention are businesses closed on Sunday. Mm. And I can't tell you how often I would hear people, well, I would go here, but they're closed on Sunday, almost like they're complaining about it. <laughs> it's like, okay, but those are the businesses that you like. Right. <laughs> anyway. Well, I mean, it sounds like if a it's like do, do you want a return to the blue laws what 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 do you want here <laughs> exactly i mean it sounds though like if a uh, a company finds its way into your facebook feed as a uh, heroic example of christian example uh of christian living then they might be a dominionist <laughs> Is that what well, I'm not. I'm not going to say that because I I have many personal friends who repost the same ideas. And I know for a fact that they would not fall under right the Seven Mountain Dominionist movement. Again, a lot of them, you know, they're feel good stories, things like that. But especially with the Hobby Lobby yeah. case, many of the articles that were reposting were dealing with their suit against the government over the Affordable Health Care Act. Right. And so, in that way, they were supporting this idea of the Christian influence over government. Right. And that, or government and business, I guess we should say. Yeah, and there'll and be then, intersections between right, and, right. and like with Chick Fil A, they intersect with business and with the family and with religion. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, some of these ideas are going to be are going to cross various mountains. And again, I w- I do want to point out that just because we talk about a person or a business doesn't mean that they follow this idea either. They're just people who happen to be being promoted by people who believe it. Exactly. So, yeah, let me pause on that for a second. So I, I this is not to say not only does the, the Kathy family not necessarily have to be a dominion. We're not necessarily we're not saying that they are a dominionist ideology. And right. Or or the family that owns Hobby Lobby. I know that they're a family organization as well. Right. And, and nor are we even saying that what they're doing is bad. Right. Right. But somehow their example is used by people who have this kind of flawed worldview. Um, exactly. Okay. And so it, it, it almost transcends the actual people that we're talking about here. And so if it sounds like we're trashing on Chick-fil-A, um, it, it's not the case that that's what's, that's not what we're doing, right? We're no. you're saying that what Chick-fil-A is doing may be exactly fine and perfect. Um, as far as businesses can go, although I and preferred... my personal belief is that they are. Yeah, and and I preferred Zaxby's when I lived in the South, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, I would agree with you on that. <laughs> so it had nothing to do with the faith, but um, no. But uh, uh, but nonetheless, if uh, they can still be used for these sorts of um, rather insidious uh, agendas, uh, mm-hmm. worldview it... agendas. It's almost like, and again, we keep going back to the Barton episode, but it's almost like with Barton, when we talked about his idea of history, he created the idea and then selects the facts to fit it. In the same way, these the people who follow the idea that Christians not, should not only influence these mountains but control them, they have their ideology or theology or what have you, and then they're looking for people to fit their mold. Yeah. 
if that makes sense. Absolutely. And, and what I'm thinking of, even with the, the businesses here, is there's this kind of Christian celebrity culture, this cult of celebrity. Mm-hmm. Um, they, remi- go if, ahead. I was going to say, I think that we're going to talk about that with the arts and entertainment section. It absolutely will come up there, but I think you even see it here, right? And so um, okay. it becomes – I remember when the whole uh, Hobby Lobby, Chick-fil-A, Affordable Care Act, kerfluffle was going on um uh, and on my facebook feed and i know this is not a scientific place to look for things but like many of my friends would share there was an image of a of a young girl who has said this ought to really tick off all the liberals out there and so is her with like a chick-fil-a uh soft drink cup standing in a hobby lobby parking lot wearing something else i don't remember what it was an nra t-shirt or something i don't know and uh and 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 people like people would like this and my snarky response was oh look my faith is entirely defined by my consumer purchases right (laughs) and and so um but i feel like what that is is a cult of celebrity and this is sort of economic celebrity right Mm -hmm. we've we've held up these businesses as versions of um good Christian activity within the realm, the realm of that particular mountain, um, as it were. Right. And, and so, um, and that, that's not to say there's anything wrong with going to Hobby Lobby or to, uh, Chick-fil-A, but to kind of idolize them, I think, um, un- unknowingly shows a bit of a f- shallowness, uh, in your, in your own kind of faith life, um, because it's being mediated ex- exclusively through this kind of Christian media sphere, this cult of Christian celebrity. Um, and so, and, and, and you have JC Penny written down here as well. This is a, a totally- I, I wrote that down simply because I've often seen him used as an historical figure. I'm not actually talking about the modern business. That's actually the man who founded the store. Okay. I guess when he started it, um, well, he was a Christian by everything I can find, but he encouraged, you know, prayer meetings and Bible reading and things like that. And I often see him promoted as well as a leader to, you know, model your business after. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, right before we started recording, I'm recording from home and, and my wife is in the room actually. And uh, she suggested that we should do an episode on consumerism at some level. And, and, and I think we're getting into it a bit right here. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a, a consumerist mentality, um, a consumerist faith, if you will. Like if, if I just sort of shop at the right places and, and identify with the, the kinds of purchases that I make, that is part of my faith life. Uh, it's, and- it's almost a perversion of James where James says that faith without works is dead. We've changed it to say faith without shopping at the right stores is dead. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And even with uh, the recent, you know, tragedy in Orlando um, with the shooting at that nightclub, um, I, I've recently seen people posting these kind of heroic accounts of Chick-fil-A staying open so people can donate blood or something like this and say, well, no. I, th- I think the story was that they they opened on Sunday to cook chicken sandwiches for the people who are donating blood. Ah, yeah, something like that, right? And so And that, and there's you know then there's the tagline the media won't report this. Yeah, exactly, right? Um, and <laughs> I I actually went looking and I found a few media outlets that did report it. Exactly, right? Um but it's like, you know, not everything can be front page news. And it plays in but it plays in that kind of meme plays into this cultural approach uh, mm-hmm. and, and very powerfully and and, and it's connected to this hero worship that is, I think you're arguing, and I think correctly so, uh, a variation at least on this dominionist um, ideology. Um, And I think that that's fair. Um, We could do a whole episode, and I probably will, uh, about this guy, but you have Dave Ramsey written down here. (laughs) I wrote him down because, you know, know, for those of you who don't know, he's built a business – there's no other way to put it. He's built a business around personal finance. You know, apparently he believes that God has blessed him with knowledge of you know God's plan for your finances, and he offers a course, Financial Peace University, which it's his plan for getting you out of debt, I mm-hmm. guess, yes. and you know living a successful life. I know that I live in an area where every so often a local church will offer it. So I have received some literature about that, you know, as a mailer or something like that. I do find it interesting, though, you know, these people that say that God has given them some extra message or he's given them 
something to help people and then charge money for it. Mm. I do have a huge problem with that. Um, I know the last time that I, I know a lo- one of our local churches offered it and I got a mailer, it was like $60 a person. Yeah. It's like, you know, if, if you're geared toward helping people with their finances and getting out of debt, most people couldn't pony up $60 a person. Especially when you consider that it's geared for families and for couples, that means it's $120. Right. Um, anyway. I, I have, my wife and I have gone through it, and it's good advice, I will say. I, I mean, what. Right. Like the people that I've talked to that have gone through it, you know, it does help. Yes. Or it's, a, it's good advice, but the problem I have with it is beyond that, if that makes sense. It, absolutely. And, and it, it's, it's his model, I guess I would say. And, and it's, I think it's an ethos issue as well with him, um, like in terms of credibility. Um, mm-hmm. He, uh, I feel like, is very TED talky in, her, in terms yes. of his presentation, okay? And I know that's a terrible adjective. <laughs> I just made it up, but hopefully it captures what I mean. Um, and, and, and that's not to insult the TED talks that are extremely valuable. Um, okay. <laughs> At least in my opinion. Okay, I have a, I have an episode uh, in mind about TED talks too. I, I have Re- to remember as well that that value is is relative, and it can be a it can be a value to learn what not to do. I there is no expectation that I have to agree with everything about that my guests say, right? Uh, uh, that they have oh, to yes. agree with we, me. We had this discussion before we began recording. <laughs> I, I think not less of you because you happen to like TED talks, right? Uh, but. Um, uh, yeah, there'll be a whole episode on TED. Some of them are better than others. There are some better than others. Let's put it that way for now. Um, but back to Dave Ramsey, there's there's a kind of pomposity um, to his presentation of self that um, I feel like he's got this kind of almost PBS, like Susie Orman style of personal mm-hmm. finance responsibility. That's who it was. I knew there was another person <laughs> I wanted to put on the list and I couldn't think of who it was. And, and, and really it's the same information. It's the same good advice. He's packaging it specifically for churches. He's tapping into church as a kind of market. Uh, and that to me is my issue. Um, mm-hmm. And, and you see every church I've ever you know, every place I've ever lived has had churches that have offered financial peace um, university classes. You see it all the time. It's pervasive. Um, Ohio, Georgia, Pennsylvania, every place I've ever lived, um, I, I've, I've seen this. And so um, to me, that's the problem is it's it's using the church – the institutions of the church as kind of a, uh, a market field and, and, and tailoring what is truly a secular message um, to, uh, and, and trying to twist it as a, as a, as a theological good, as, as a, as a faith good. And, and I just feel like it, it's not the information is wrong or bad. I feel like the motivation behind it, it plays too much into this Christian cult of celebrity and this um, um, kind of, I, there is a dominionist um, aspect, this kind of taking over culture to his rhetoric that, mm-hmm. that I find really um, sort of disturbing. To me, uh, he wants everybody to be utterly independent from the structures of secular society. Um, and, and, and I find that to be kind of and, – and this is the, the goal, the teleology for his um, – um, program to get you so financially independent. The piece he's talking about is um, an utter detachment from uh, secular society so that you can be the best Christian God wants you to be or whatnot. And, and, and I philosophically and theologically disagree with that stance. Um, and so um, I think Dave Ramsey is someone who needs a lot more um, discussion down the road. But um, but for now, <laughs> we'll just sort of leave it there, unless you have more to add about him. No, that was that was it. I think we, between the two of us, we covered everything that I had thought of. Yeah, this is um, – I mean, that, obviously this show is – I'm going to hit on a lot of my own kind of personal hobby horses, and Dave Ramsey is one of them. Um, Nathan Gilmore from the Christian Humanist podcast calls him the Pharaoh Dave Ramsey's <laughs> – <laughs> I think that that's a, a pretty apt description of him. Um, and so, uh, yeah, well, that actually, I think, is a good introduction um, to what we're going to be talking about in the next episode. Um, we're right about an hour, and I want to, like I said, keep these to about an hour. Um, Jay and I will keep talking um, uh, and sort of record the second episode in line, but I'm going to pause right here and give you a break um, so that you, you can tune in next week for the rest of these mountains that we're going to be talking about.
Thanks for listening to Sectarian Review. Download us again next month for another hour of criticism, reviews, and opinion. In the meantime, check out our Facebook page and send us an email at sectarianreview at gmail.com. Sectarian Review is a part of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Eternal thanks to Kristen Philippic, the trepid press liaison. Until next time, remember the words of Kafka, don't despair, not even over the fact that you don't despair. Bye.